Well, it is good to be back here at Christ Church this weekend. Uh, getting an invitation back usually means one of two things. It usually means, one, that I did something right last time, or B, I did so poorly that Pastor Mike has given me an opportunity to redeem myself. We're going to find out which one of those two it is in a moment. We'll see. Uh, but it is definitely a privilege to be back here opening up God's Word and sharing in God's Word with you. I have three little ones at home, and my little ones love stories. They love for mommy and daddy to read stories to them, so I'm going to open up with a story today. There was a man camping alone in the woods, all by his lonesome. All of a sudden, he hears a rustling in the woods, and he can't quite figure out what it is because he thought he was alone. All of a sudden, he sees this dark figure coming towards him. And he can't quite make it out, but he knows it's a large figure. So as the figure gets closer and closer to him, he sees a 12-foot-tall man riding on the back of a black bear. And in his right hand, he has an anaconda snake. And he's whipping this black bear as he's riding along. And in his left hand, he has a live beehive. And periodically, he will just drink honey from this beehive. And on his back, he has a saber-toothed tiger that is keeping him warm. It's a live saber-toothed tiger. And he's riding, and he's galloping along, and he comes up to this man who's at the campfire. He hops up off of the back of this black bear, and he says to the black bear, sit down. And you know what the black bear does? The black bear sits down. He walks over to the man who's at the campfire, and he has a boiling pot of black coffee on the flames. He picks up this pot of black coffee, and in one sip, he drinks it down. He grabs a timber from the flames, and he uses it as a toothpick. And then he puts out the fire with his bare feet. And then he looks at the man who was at the campfire looking at him in horror. And he says to the man, he said, if I was you, I would hurry up and get out of here. Because the man who's coming behind me, he's scary. (laughs) That story had absolutely nothing to do with the sermon this morning. Sometimes you just feel like telling a story. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we need you. There is nothing that we can do on our own. In every area of our lives, we need you. at our worst, at our best, when things are not going as we planned, when things are going exactly as we planned, Lord, we need you. In our most spiritual moments, we need you. So Lord, even now as we stand and and we open up your word and we anticipate hearing from you, oh Lord, we need you to open up our eyes to see beautiful things from your word. 
Open up our ears to hear you speak. And then open up our hands, O Lord, to love and to serve one another. May we be changed because we have seen Jesus this day. We pray it all in the wonderful and saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Passages that have changed my life. I chose for this series to cover Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. This, this passage for me has meant a, a world of difference at every single season in my life. Somehow this passage comes to mind. Let me read that passage for us today. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, this passage at every season of my life has seemed to be critical. And so as we study this text for this morning, we're going to work ourselves backwards in this verse. I have divided this verse into three sections like a good Baptist preacher. Anything can be divided in three sections. I can take one word and divide it into three sections for you. We're going to work ourselves backwards. We're going to start at the end of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 and then work ourselves backwards. So the first point we're going to talk about is a greater love. The end of verse 20 says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, we have to start here because this is where you and I start with our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is simply with this wondrous and glorious statement of Christ who loves us and who has given himself for us. But Stephen, what did I, what did I do? Can we just rewind for a moment? What did I do to get here? What did I do to deserve a love of Jesus Christ? My answer is simply this. You have done nothing. I have done nothing to warrant such a love of Jesus Christ. So when we start at the end of verse 20, we are starting at the beginning of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are standing before Christ who loves us because he loves us. We are standing before Christ who gave himself for us because he loved us. Again, oftentimes when we read God's word, we often have to notice what the text does not say. And notice that this text does not give us reasons as to why Jesus Christ did what he did for us. It doesn't say, well, Christ loved me and gave himself for me because I am the best or I am the brightest or I am the richest or I am the poorest or I am this or I am that. And brothers and sisters, this is glorious news. This is great news. That there is no reason as to why Jesus Christ loves us. He just loves us. 
Because if there was a reason as to why Jesus Christ loves us, there would be a reason for him to stop loving us. But there is no reason listed. I'm not making this up. It's right here or it's not right here in the text. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, Christ, surely I have to work for this. Surely I need to earn this. Surely I need to do something. And brothers and sisters, we can do nothing. This is strictly by the grace and kindness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's like my son, I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he's beginning to understand that things cost money. That it doesn't just appear in the house. Mommy and daddy work and mommy and daddy pay for things. So one day he came to me and said, Daddy, can I have this? Well, I said, well, yeah. Well, where's your money at? So he reached in his little pocket and he pulled out two things. He pulled out this Cheez-It that looked like it had been recycled. And he pulled out this car that was missing three wheels. The windshield was cracked. And he handed it over to me. And I looked at him and laughed. And I said, what are you going to do with that? What is that going to buy? Here, you can, you can have it. And I think oftentimes, brothers and sisters, we sort of approach Jesus Christ like this, where he says to us, I, I love you and I gave myself for you. And we say, well, Christ, surely we, we have to earn this. Surely we have to pay for this. And we reach into the pocket of our lives and we pull out our brokenness. We pull out our lives that are missing three wheels. We say, here, Christ, does, does this work? Christ looks at us. As he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I'm doing this because I love you. So we start at the end. But when we start at the end, we are starting at the beginning that we do nothing to earn the love of Jesus Christ. It is strictly by his grace and by his mercy. And brothers and sisters, that is good news because I couldn't work hard enough to earn the love of Jesus Christ. I couldn't do enough to earn this type of love. But more than that, he not only loves us, but verse 20 says he gave himself for us. He loves us and then he shows us that he loves us by giving up himself for us. Not only does he love us, but he was ridiculed on our behalf. He was scorned on our behalf. He was sacrificed on our behalf. When it says that Christ gave himself for us, what it means is that it should have been you and I who was paying the penalty for our sins. It should have been you and I who was absorbing the full wrath of God because the scripture is clear where sin is, the wrath of God needs to answer for it. But yet Christ steps in between us, and in our places, he takes the full wrath of God. He takes death on our behalf, so you and I, we get to go free. I'm reminded of an incident some years ago when I was in high school, and me and my brother and a couple of friends of ours, we went to Vernon Hills days. I grew up in Vernon Hills, and we went to Vernon Hills days. That was sort of a rite of passage for any teenager to go to this carnival called Vernon Hills days. 
So we went over to Big Bear Lake and we went to Vernon Hills days and it, and it might be hard for some of you to believe, but I used to talk a lot in high school. No, that's shocking. And it might be even harder for you to believe, but I was sort of loud in high school. So we're walking along Vernon Hills days and the, and the day is coming to an end and it's me and a couple of my friends and my brother is standing next to me walking along and then all of a sudden a fight breaks out. Now, I wasn't involved in the fight. I was an innocent bystander. So we're, we're standing back and we're watching this fight take place. And these two groups of guys get into it and one group wins and one group loses. Well, we notice the losing group. And me and my buddy, we start to laugh at the losing group. Now, what we did not know at the moment was that a couple of individuals from the losing group were standing right in front of us. So we're laughing. He said, yeah, they lost. I'm telling you, Vernon Hills, it was the hood. Vernon Hills was dangerous. So we're laughing, and, and we're making fun of the losing group, and one of the guys from the losing group turns around to us, and he said, we, we might have lost that fight, but we're not going to lose this fight. And, and one of the guys from the losing group, he, he pulls out a knife on me. I'm telling you, Vernon Hills was the hood back in the day. And before I could even think about it, Before I could even realize the gravity of the situation, my brother who was standing next to me jumped in between me and this guy. And he says, if if you want to get to him, you need to go through me first. And saints, this, this is just a small glimpse of the love of Jesus Christ that he has for us. That the full wrath of God was aimed directly at you and I for the sins that we have committed. And Jesus Christ, on that glorious day in Calvary, he stands between us and the full wrath of God of which you and I could not bear. And he takes it for us. Who loved me, who gave himself for me. This is the love of Jesus Christ. And because of this, Paul says, as we continually work ourselves backwards in verse 20, there is a greater faith. Paul says he loved me and gave himself for me. And because of this, I live by faith. This flesh that I'm living in, I live by faith. But notice that faith has a subject and faith has an object. If I can give you the context of of these couple of verses that Paul is dealing with in a matter of three verses, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21, Paul uses the pronoun I or me 12 times. I have been crucified with Christ. It is for me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul uses that pronoun 12 times. Now, is Paul being self-centered here? He's not. But Paul is helping us to realize that our relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. It is a personal affair that Jesus Christ wants to be involved in our lives, that Paul is not basing his faith uh, uh, based upon what his mom has done, 
or his grandmother has done or his dad has done or his grandfather has done. But Paul says, I, 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 me, 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 and not in a selfish way, but in a way that is filled with confidence and filled with hope that Jesus Christ, when he died, he died for me. This is the hope and the confidence that you and I have, those who belong to Jesus Christ, that we can claim Jesus Christ because he claims us. We can say when he died on Calvary, when he bled, he was bleeding for me. That when he took away transgressions, when he took away sins, he was taking away my sins and my transgressions. It's not arrogant. Brothers and sisters, it's not selfish. It's hopeful that Jesus Christ, he died. What he died, he, he died for me. Has a subject, but it also has an object. It's not just faith. Paul doesn't say, you know what, I just have faith just to have faith. You hear some people say, well, you just need to have faith. Well, my question is faith in what? Faith in the Cubs? No, I'm not putting my faith in the Cubs. I've done that for about 100 years, and it's failed me every single year. Faith in these pews that we're sitting in? I don't, I don't know who the construction guy was. I don't know if he had a fight with his spouse before coming here, and he said, you know what, I'm just not going to glue this part because I'm so mad. I, don't, I can't put faith in that. Paul says, I place my faith in the Son of God. Faith and Scripture always has an object. It is not just floating around. It always has an anchor. It always has a resting place. And the resting place is the greatest place that we can ever think of. It is in the eternal Son of God, the one who changes not, the one who loves us for all of eternity. Can you think of a better place to put your faith in? Jesus Christ, who when he loves, he loves for all of eternity, who came down, who took on flesh, who died, who was resurrected on our behalf. Can you think of a better person to place your faith in? The apostle Paul cannot. So he says, I put my faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Faith in this God-man who, who not only died for my sins, but he is working out my salvation. The one who was willing to die for my sins is not going to let me go because of my sins. And oftentimes that is a difficult concept, I think, for Christians to grasp. We can admit and say, you know what, I, when I came to faith, you know, I was a sinner and, and Christ loved me and he met me where I am. But you know what, now that I'm a Christian, I need to be perfect. I have to live a perfect life. And Paul sort of interrupts us where we are and he says we put our faith in the man who died for our sins and who loves us right now because of our sins. That all of us, every single individual in this room has yellow tape around us and the tape simply says under construction. Christ is working on all of us and he is doing a good work. I have some old folks in my family who used to say, be patient with me. Christ isn't done 
with me yet. All of us can echo that same thing, that Christ loves us in our sin. He loves us through our sin. He loves us to victory in our sin. This is why Paul says, hey, when I put my faith in something, it is going to be in Jesus Christ. Faith that we are not on a performance-based system with Jesus Christ, that we are not all in a circus. That Christ is not looking at us and saying, hey, how are you going to perform for me today? But that he loves us in and through him working out his life in us. Faith that because of Christ, I now have a relationship with the Father. I now can call him Daddy because of Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul says, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is a great dichotomy. That the life we live in the flesh, we are constantly clinging to Jesus Christ. And if there's any breathing person in this room, you know that on any given day, we mess up. We don't do what we're supposed to do. We leave undone what we're supposed to do. This is why Paul says, hey, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we say we're sinners and we need grace. We're in the flesh, so we're constantly clinging to Jesus Christ, constantly holding on to him. The life I live in this worthless flesh, I live by faith. I live with my eyes focused on the one who will never leave me, the one who will never neglect me the one who will never turn aside from me. As we live our daily lives, as we go through it, as we walk with Christ, we are constantly clinging to him. Why? Because he loves us. Because he gave himself for us. It's the greatest love. It's the greatest faith. And because of Christ, there is a greater life. Paul begins verse 20 and he says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who is living, but it is Christ who is living in me. What is Paul saying? Let me give you a little bit of context. Context is critical as we're reading the Bible. As we go through the scripture, it is critical oftentimes for us to get context. For us to say, well, what is the author saying before and what is the author saying afterwards? That's what I mean when I say context. We don't want to be like the individual who was sitting alone in his study one day. And the guy said, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm going to put my finger in Scripture. And whatever that Scripture says, Lord, I'm going to do. So he sits back in his study and he closes his eyes and he turns in the pages of Scripture and he puts his finger in the Bible and he turns to that passage where it says, and Judas went and hung himself. He said, okay, Lord, the next passage I come to, the next one I turn to, I'm going to do. So he sits back in his study and he closes his eyes and he turns in the passage and he puts his finger on some of those red letters that are in Scripture. And the text simply read, and Christ looked at him and said, go and do likewise. 
Context is critical, brothers and sisters. It's critical. What is Paul talking about? What does Paul mean when he says, I have been crucified with Christ? Paul is dealing with a, with a church who has become much like a high school cafeteria. They have become very cliquish, where you have the Jews sitting over here and you have the Gentiles sitting over here. You have the rich sitting over here and you have the poor sitting over here and never do they mix and mingle. So Paul is looking at these cliques and he's saying to them, has the death of Christ done nothing in your relationships to one another? If Christ's death means anything, it means that you and I look at one another differently. But Paul is looking at these cliques and he's saying to them, what are you guys doing? Jews, what are you doing? Gentiles, what are you doing? Poor, what are you doing? Rich, what are you doing? Has not Christ combined you all? So Paul says, look at my life. If there is any person in all of Scripture who had any reason to boast, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He has written the majority of the Bible. He had a life that was above any life. He was the man. And Paul says all of this background, all of this upbringing, it means nothing when I compare it to the life of Jesus Christ. It's all rubbish. It's all dong. My relationship to you takes precedent over any past life, over any former life, over any clique that I can be a part of. And brothers and sisters, if there is any time in the history of the American church by which we need believers to stand up and say, I have been crucified with Jesus Christ, it is now. If Christ can love us because of our sin, surely we can love one another who has a different opinion than us. If Christ can love us when we were hating him and spitting at him and turning our backs upon him, surely we can love one another who think just a little bit differently than what you and I think. We need Christians to stand up and say, I have been crucified with Christ. My past culture does not take precedent over my loving one another. My past culture is not going to separate me from loving the saints of God. If there is any time in the history of the American church where we need saints to stand up and say, hey, there is a family of God and I love them. Regardless of what they think, regardless of their opinions, I love the family of God. Why? Because it's not me who's living. It is Jesus Christ who lives in me, the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have died. See, when Christ went to the cross, it wasn't wasn't an inconvenience, saints. Christ wasn't just simply going out of his way. When Christ went to the cross, he went there to die. So when Paul says, I, at the same time, have been crucified with Jesus Christ, what he is saying is that my formal way of life, my formal way of thinking, my former, 
putting precedent on things that don't deserve that precedent, that those things are not just resting. Those things have died. Why? Because Jesus Christ is better. I don't know many of you in here. Hopefully I'll meet some of you. But I can say this as a matter of fact, that regardless of your life, Jesus Christ is better. He's more glorious. He's kind. He is merciful. He is better. So when Paul says, hey, look at my life, I'm willing to give it up. Paul is trading the lesser for the greater. He is saying my life, it was, it was decent, but Jesus Christ is better. He's trading the lesser for the greater. He is getting rid of Derrick Rose in order for Ray John Rondo. He is trading R&B for country music. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Christ is better. He's more glorious. So regardless of our former life, regardless of our mindset of our former life, Paul walks into this cafeteria and he says, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor. And as if Paul is looking down the corridors of time, when he wrote Galatians 2 verse 20, he's saying white folks and black folks and Asians and Democrats and Republicans, I have been crucified with Jesus Christ. I don't live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. For when Christ died on the cross, he did two things. He restored our relationship to God, by which we are now children of God. And he restored our relationship to one another. So now that we love one another. But notice, saints, that Paul is talking by way of fact. Paul doesn't say, I, you know, I think I may have been crucified with Jesus Christ. I, I don't know. I have to look back and see. I might have been crucified with Jesus Christ. Paul says, no, I have been crucified with Jesus Christ. I have been. I have been. It is a fact. It is Paul's identity. Paul is now living out of his identity. Paul is walking out of his identity. What Paul does does not, it will never change his identity. Remember growing up, my dad used to always, you know, say to my brother and I, we would oftentimes go to school, and he would say, you, you know, sons, that you're carrying the love name. It's a powerful name. We're like a royal family. I don't know if you guys have heard of us or not, but we're like a royal family in Vernon Hills. He would say, you guys, are, you guys are carrying the love name, right? That, that means something. It is sort of our identity as we're, we're walking in. And he said, you know, that means something. And we, we would come home from school and we, we would mess up. And, and he would sometimes say, you guys, you guys are carrying the love name. See, what we did didn't change our identity. He was simply reminding us of where our identity resides, and this is what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He is making a statement of fact. I have been crucified with Christ. I am a child of God. I am a child of a king. Regardless of what happens in Paul's life, this is his identity. We read scripture 
And we see oftentimes that the Scripture reminds us of who we are in Jesus Christ and who Christ is in us. But sometimes the church sort of gets that confused. And when saints come through the door who have sinned or who have fallen short of the glory of God, we oftentimes will say to them, well, well are, you, are you saved? Are you, are, you, are you a Christian? Paul doesn't do that. He simply reminds them of who they are in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have to be reminded of our identity. What a a world of difference this will make for us when we're reminded, when we wake up in the morning and we say, you know what? I've been crucified with Jesus Christ. He lives in me. And his life is so much greater. It is so much better than anything that I can think or imagine. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. There is no greater love, brothers and sisters. There is no greater faith and there is no greater life than the life that is placed in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you glory Because you, you know, the one who knows all things, you know that we are so unworthy. But yet we read in Galatians and we claim with the Apostle Paul that Christ, our Savior, oh, he loves his people. He died for them. Now we can rest assured, we can put all our confidence in, and we can place our faith in him who will never leave nor forsake. Remind us of who we are in you, and remind us of who Christ is in us. Pray these things in his name. Amen.